was going on, and yet he didn't say anything. That's what really bothers me. He didn't say anything at all. Okay. So, you know, because he had been championing uh, Donald Trump and Donald Trump didn't win and he says nothing. Okay, this is uh, Vigano and the Antichrist, the magic circle. Well, Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano has rocked the world by releasing his second open letter to President Donald Trump. And yesterday I did a, a video going through every single line and word of that open letter. And there were some things in that were a little obscure. For example, the reference to the magic circle, the catacomb, the mystery of iniquity, etc. And so I'm joined today with Dr. Ed Mazza, who's a Catholic historian and has been really in the last several months become the expert or one of the leading expert on all matters related to papacy, catacon, Benedict the 16th, Pope Francis, valid conclave, valid resignation, etc. You've seen him many times on my channel already and he's back this time to do some analysis of what Vigano has said in this very important letter. So Dr. Ed Mazza, welcome back. Oh, it's great to be back. So um, this this new letter is pretty powerful. We're going to jump right into it and you know, I really wanted to to bring you on because as you'd mentioned before we went live we're going to pray in just a moment. Uh, our show that we did together was really kind of a, one of the first times uh, Catacon was discussed, you know, openly in a popular situation. Right, exactly. Um, and I'm, I'm, we're going to delve into what Archbishop Vigano has to say on the topic because some, some people are confused. Is it the Pope? Is it the President? Or is it both? What, what's the story with that? Is it the Emperor? <laughs> I, want, I, want to, I, want to, I did that yesterday with... Um, Charles Cologne. It's great. So, um, all right, well, let's pray. We'll pray the Our Father together, and uh, then we'll jump into this exciting topic. Um, Dr. Mazza, do you want to say the second half of the of the uh, Pater Nostra? Sure thing. All right. Oremos. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Pater Noster, qui es in celis, sanctificator nomen tuum, adveniant regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in cello et in terra. Anam nostrum quotidianum da nobis hodie, et dimiti nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimitibus debitoribus nostris, and ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libra nos amalo. Amen. Amen. Almighty God, please send us your Holy Spirit to give us illumination. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Nomine Patris et Fidi, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. All right, so should we talk about Second Thessalonians and Catacon, or where do you want to steer us, Dr. Mazza? Sure. Okay. That's it. So um, I guess the best way would be for everyone to open up their Bibles, everyone. Catholics aren't, aren't sometimes intimidated by that, but there's no reason to. Um, I was just reading last night. I meant to bring it here to the computer, but Dr. Mazza, I read... The Apocalypse of Pseudo Methodius. Are you are you familiar with this work? Uh, not no, not directly. As far as I know, it was written before the year seven hundred in the late six hundred. As far as I know, I've been doing this research on Katakon. It is the earliest um, exegesis on Katakon in the Second Thessalonians passage. 
It's kind of interesting. And it's early. We're talking before the 700s. So I, I read the whole thing last night, and what I gained from it is it, it basically tells the end of the world of Christians being persecuted by the sons of Ishmael. And of course, we know the sons of Ishmael are the, the Arabian people, and it's basically Islam. And it talks about how the mystery of iniquity is held back by the Katakan, and it, it specifies it. And it has a lot of reference to the Roman Empire, a renewed Roman Empire, and of course, a Roman king. And I think it's the first time that written down in which there's this tradition that a future eschatological king, the document called the King of the Romans, goes to Jerusalem and places his crown at Golgotha. Very interesting. It's very vivid. Um, I need to get you a copy so you can read it. But it, it, it goes, it's, in chapter 10 is when it breaks down Katekon. And, the, and I wanted to say, well, is it the Roman Empire? The, the language is very obscure. And I think that kind of goes with Second Thessalonians chapter 2 is very obscure as well. Um, should we read? No, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, is the early church fathers, you know, before Augustine are pretty much to a man on record as saying that it's, it's the Roman Empire that uh, uh, Paul is referring to. But maybe we should go through it together and see exactly what Paul says. Yeah, that sounds good. I'm going to put it on the screen, the, the verses, so that people can, can go along with us. I guess I'll put verse 4 through, do you have a preference, Dr. Mazza? You can start at verse 4, sure. Verse 4, and then um, I think I'll go to verse 8. That's that's probably enough for people to see. Again, we're in Second Thessalonians. And uh, let's see if this works again. There we go. Perfect. Okay. Um, I've got the Dewey Rames here. Great. Do you, do you want me to read, and then I'll just pause and let you make comments? Exactly, sure. Does that sound good? Okay, here we go. Verse 4. St. Paul, second epistle of Thessalonians. Who opposeth and is lifted up above all that is God, or that is worship? So he that sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself as he were God. Actually, I'll read verse 4 before that. Verse, oh, sorry, verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for unless there come a revolt first, and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. So, you want to say something on that, Dr. Maz, about the revolt and the man of sin? Yeah, so revolution, I think, is the key word there, revolt. Um, and there's going to be a rebellion against God before the false prophet of the Antichrist comes and before the Antichrist himself comes. Uh, and if I could put a shameless plug in here, uh, during Advent, during the Sundays of Advent, I'm going to be offering a mini course about the Advent of Christ and his church. And uh -huh. the advent of the Antichrist and his church, his oh, wow. anti-church. Um, cool. But specifically as regards the revolt, you know, tomorrow's the, uh, the anniversary of uh, Martin Luther. I think he starts it off. I think that starts the end times. Uh, but, yeah, it, it Paul is uh, telling us about what's going to happen in the end times. Yeah. And this, in all commentators, it's universal that the, the sun... Um, of perdition, the man of sin, this is the Antichrist, right? And so Paul's kind of giving us a preview in a very cryptic way. So he says in verse 3 that first will come the revolt, and then the man of sin will be revealed, the son of perdition. In verse 4, 
who opposeth and is lifted up above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself as he were God. So, anything you want to add to that? Uh, no, but it fits in with everything that we kind of know in general about the coming of the Antichrist, that trying to replace God. And, yeah. and, he, and in this passage, he's going to say the lawless one, the man without law. And I think that's important because uh, we've, we've seen a great deal of lawlessness uh, in the last six months. Yeah. You know, one thing that commentators are conflicted on is it says that this antichrist figure the son of perdition will sit in the temple of god now this is this is important because some say that the sec the temple in jerusalem will be rebuilt and then instead of it having like the ark of the covenant or the holy of holies dedicated to the true god that will become the throne room of antichrist in jerusalem Others, however, say the temple of God refers to the spiritual temple of God, which is the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. What's your take on that, Dr. Mazza? Um, I would tend towards the former okay. because uh, the I, from my reading of the fathers and, and authors on the subject, it seems that the Antichrist himself uh, is not going to be a churchman, but a very attractive, charismatic, temporal ruler. Uh, although I think we can argue that the, the, the false prophet who's going to pave the way for the Antichrist, the way John the Baptist kind of paved the way for the Christ, uh, could very well be a churchman. Uh, and as regards Jerusalem, um, there, uh, there was a, uh, don't want to get into the weeds on this, but there was a 19th century Italian nun, a mystic, and in her writings, it, it appears that there's a, that the papacy one day could move to Jerusalem because that's where it originated with Peter, actually. Uh, so I think I think that's tied in there perhaps as well, uh, this competition between the church and the anti-church. Yeah, if you read the novel Lord of the World, not to spoil the ending for you, but that kind of thing happens. <laughs> <Real quick>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it might be, like you said, it could be both, both a physical temple in Jerusalem and then perhaps some kind of, uh, of a invasion or infiltration into the church itself, seated in the church. Who knows? Okay, so moving right along in this prophecy of St. Paul, he says, Remember you not that when I was with you, I told you these things. So this is something that Paul's been repeating. Verse 6, And now you know that what withholdeth, that he may be revealed in his time. And here's our reference in the Greek to katekon. What hold, withholdeth. So it's a holding back. There's some kind of, uh, something that wants to push forward e evil, iniquity. And then there's this katekon, or katekon, that's withholding the evil. And this is in verse uh, 6. What would you like to add there? Yeah, well, as we go through the text, as you said, there's the there's the Greek neuter, which sort of refers to an impersonal force or thing, and then he's going to use the masculine singular. Um, so somebody like Saint John Chrysostom, for example, believed that it. Uh, although some people think it's the Holy Spirit, others say that because he kind of was, you know, kind of walked around it without saying it. He could have been referring to the Roman Empire. As, as John Chrysostom says, he naturally glanced at it and speaks covertly and darkly, 
for he did not wish to bring upon himself superfluous enemy enmities and useless dangers. So, um, as you point out in your book uh, about Eternal City, right, uh, the, the apostles always had to be careful. They never name Rome directly. They'll right. Peter will say, I'm talking to greetings from Babylon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and also, you know, in, in the book of Acts, where it, when when Peter escapes from prison, it very cryptically says, and he went to another place. Whereas everything in Acts, Luke documents where they are, where they're going, right? You just don't end the a section on and Peter went to another place well <laughs> tradition says the other place that he went was Rome but they don't want to say hey Roman emperor persecutors our leaders now in Rome right now and this is exactly. this is how things go just like in Romans 13 when Paul is talking about Nero he never actually names him though he's referred to a couple times Exactly. And in this case, the idea is is that at some point the restrainer is going to stop restraining. So if right. it was referring to the Roman Empire, you're implying that one day the Roman Empire is not going to exist anymore, and that's sort of a treasonous statement. So Yes, big time. You know, it was interesting when I read last night this document, The Apocalypse of Pseudomethodius. Mm-hmm. It set up a parallel between whatever the Katekan is on the, at the end of the world and made a type of it in the Old Testament of Alexander the Great. It's very curious. So it says in the text that in the Old Testament, Alexander the Great receives the kingdom from his father, Philip, and then he conquers the world, and he finds this disgusting people that it says abort their babies and eat the fetuses. And they eat unclean animals and reptiles and snakes and bugs. They're, they're very immoral people uh, and sexually immoral. And so what Alexander the Great does, this is all apocryphal, he rounds these people up and pushes them to the north. And then he builds an invincible gate and a wall and he puts them behind it. And this turns out to be, guess what? Gog and Magog. Ah, yes. The peoples of the north. Right? Now, whether it's an allegory, whether people really believe this, I don't really know. I'm not a Alexander the Great legend scholar. But I thought it was very interesting that in, in the way that this document understands Katekon is, is in the Old Testament, Alexander the Great, who is a political leader, finds a disgusting, foul, sinful, abortive culture and pushes them far north and bars them off with the gate. So that right there is a, it's a withholding catacomb, right? And then it later shows that the gates are opened in the apocalypse and the people of the north. And this brings in the language and the visions of the book of Revelation that we have of St. John, the apocalypse. So I thought it was kind of interesting that, that this document is playing with that idea and actually using the, the image of gates, which of course goes back to the Petrine office the gates of hell, right, and all that. So there's there's kind of some interesting things that are going on with restraining. And I've been going back and forth in my mind, Dr. Maza, over is Katakon political or ecclesiastical? Is it the Roman Empire? I've been really playing with the idea that it's Blessed Karl of Austria is the final Katakon. But I was talking to a friend of mine uh, just recently, and he reminded me that the Pope holds two swords, the spiritual and the temporal. And so 
the political katakon is really just borrowing one of the swords from the pope. Well, um, let me let me lay, lay okay. on you a couple of quotes. One is from Cardinal Manning, and the other is from Cardinal Newman, and they're both the great outstanding English cardinals of the 19th century. And this is what Cardinal Manning says. He says um, how it is the, uh, the power which hinders the revelation of the lawless one is not only a person but a system and not only a system but a person right which would be the neuter and the masculine and so he says in one word it is christendom and its head and therefore in the person of the vicar of christ and in that twofold authority with which by divine providence he has been invested and um and so um he goes on to say that uh, he who holdeth shall be taken out of the way. And uh, so Cardinal Manning was of the opinion that it's, it's sort of a partnership, right, between the, the papacy and the temporal power. But as you point out, the, the, the it is the, and most Catholics don't know this, but the church has always taught that the papacy has the right of intervening indirectly in the temporal power when it comes to the issues of salvation. Right. Um, and then uh, Cardinal Newman um, takes a slightly different take on this. Cardinal Newman says that, all right, so here's the deal. In Second Thessalonians, let's assume that the catacon is the Roman Empire, or the Roman emperors in particular, uh, and they're holding back lawlessness, right? Um, there's also another, and I brought this up in our second show five months ago, there's also a vision in Daniel connected to this. Uh, not only is is the is Rome possibly the catacomb, but Rome is also the fourth kingdom. Yes. And when that fourth kingdom falls, it's supposed to be the inauguration of the Antichrist. So this is what. But of course, Rome fell seven, you know, sixteen hundred years ago. So how come we haven't seen the Antichrist sixteen hundred for the last sixteen hundred years? This is what Cardinal Newman says. He says um, the Roman Empire in the view of prophecy, remains even to this day. He says that um, basically what he interprets Daniel uh, and the fact that there are 10 kings that shall rise out of this kingdom. It's Daniel 7, I believe. And in, in the, the, the interpretation that Cardinal Newman, or Saint, I should say St. Cardinal Newman, puts on this, right? He says, consequently, we have not yet seen the end of the Roman Empire, that which withholdeth still exists up to the manifestation of its ten horns and until it is removed. So he says, essentially, we can look at the successor kingdoms to the Roman Empire. Now, this gets interesting. This could be the Holy Roman Empire, of which you said Blessed Coral was the last great representative, right? Um, people in the East look to the Tsars and to, even to Putin and see him as per perhaps the catacomb. Um, and, um, and you know, it, this does get kind of interesting because not many people know this. I don't know if it came up yesterday with uh, Charles Coulomb, but Blessed Carl, people think he abdicated. He renounced the active ministry, so to speak, but he held on right. to the uh, regal authority. And, and I've got some good quotes on that. Of course, it was the Freemasons who uh, forced him out. and They couldn't bribe him and they couldn't intimidate him. But... Um, so yeah, I, 
like I, you know, again, there's different ways of approaching Second Thessalonians, and I, I, I tend to veer towards the idea that it's a partnership. It's Christendom. It, it's yeah. a partnership between the papacy and the temporal rulers, and I think that's what Archbishop Vigano is getting at when he says that the man who occupies the chair of Peter today uh, is is not doing what he's supposed to be doing, yeah. and, and 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 the temporal ruler, President Trump, is in a position to help to shore up Christendom against the Antichrist. Right. And Christendom, is, uh, Cardinal Manning's, you know, signification there of Christendom is important. People don't know nowadays what Christendom is. Christendom comes from Domus Latin, house, home, Christen, Christian, Christian home. And Christendom designates not just the church, but Christendom is the integration of the church guiding and shepherding the states, the Christian states. So this is the vision that going back to when Armenia became the very first confessional state, Rome, and then from beyond that, from France to the, the northern nations, Eastern Europe, all these Christian nations had a public and confessional recognition of the Pope and of Christ and the church. And that is Christendom. And you can see that when the state is aligned with the church, and of course there were rocky moments throughout time, that that's going to withhold iniquity. Precisely, to uphold the reign of Christ the King uh, and, and, and the special place of the church within the social order. And you can argue that, you know, starting with uh, the 1960s, uh, because the Vatican has moved from this, you know, under, traditional understanding of church and state, that that was sort of the beginning of the. Um, well, as we go through Second Thessalonians here, we'll see that the 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 restrainer stops restraining. Yeah, yeah, and that that signals, and then the scary kind of thing about this is that signals the eschatological countdown. Exactly, and you know, I've actually found some interesting quotes from Pope Benedict. Um, on the subject, I, I he doesn't actually use the word catacomb, uh, but I, I you can infer that that's that that's kind of what he's referring to. Um, I could uh, I can pull that up real quick here. Yeah, you pull that up, and I'm going to read the next verse in Second Thessalonians just to see what's going on. And so sure. it says, "And now you know that withholdeth catacomb, that he may be revealed in his time." Verse seven: For the mystery of iniquity already worketh, only that he now holdeth, now here's catacomb, male, personal, do hold until he be taken out of the way. And then that wicked one shall be revealed whom the Lord Jesus shall kill with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Um, one little comment here that's worth saying. So it says, now he that holdeth, catacomb, do hold until he be taken and the Greek there is ek mesu, and the Latin is a medio, literally from the middle. Or you could, some translators put from the midst, but both exactly. the Greek and the Latin say from the middle or from the midst. And I think that's kind of important because um, it doesn't mean that whatever the catacomb is, is obliterated. It ceases right. to exist. Rather, it's taken out of the middle. Right, so you can just think of a highway and someone's in the middle of the highway blocking the Antichrist and all the evils from moving forward. 
well, he's taken out of the middle, out of the midst, and now things can move forward. But that doesn't mean that he he's dead or ceases to exist. Does that make sense? It does. Which and means it can I... come back. You know, you could have another Roman Empire. You could have, if the papacy is moved out of the way, the papacy can come back. And I think that's kind of an important detail. Definitely, yeah. Um, here's that Ratzinger quote that I was looking for. Um, and uh, he, Joseph Ratzinger says, Is Peter, as a person, the foundation of the church? Or is his profession of faith the foundation of the church? And the answer is, the profession of faith, and I would say that's something neuter, exists only as something for which someone is personally responsible. And I would put that as the masculine singular. Um, uh, and, and it's interesting that Cardinal Ratzinger puts it this way, which someone is personally responsible for, because Pope Benedict, in his subsequent interviews with Peter Sewald over the last five years, uh, has made statements to the effect that although he is no longer the acting, you know, Bishop of Rome, he still stands within the responsibility. And so I don't want to get into the weeds on that unless, you, unless you'd like to, but I just want to throw that out there. Yeah. Um, but to get back to the original quote here, um, so the profession of faith exists as something for which someone is personally responsible, and hence the profession of faith is connected with the person. Listen to this. Conversely, the foundation is not a person regarded in a metaphysically neutral way, but rather as the bearer of the profession of faith. And this is the kicker. One without the other would miss the significance of what is meant. This personal liability forms the heart of the doctrine of papal primacy. And if I could just add one more sentence here, he says, uh, he talks about Abraham and how in Isaiah, Abraham's faith is referred to as a rock, right? Uh, and of course, Jesus refers in, in Matthew sixteen sixteen to to Peter as the rock, right? So this is what um, uh, Ratzinger says. He says, "By his faith, the rock that holds back the chaos, the onrushing primordial flood of destruction, the rock." that stands against the impure tide of unbelief and its destruction of man. That, and that's catacomb. Yeah. So uh, uh, definitely the papacy has a role in, you know, in the catacomb uh, term there. Yeah, I, 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 that's, that's, that's great. Yeah, and it hit me too while you're talking, or you quoted the Benedict uh, quote. So there's the neuter catacomb, which would be the profession of faith. And then there's the personal catacomb, which would be he who's, what does Benedict say, responsible for it? Personal responsibility, right. yeah. And then I was thinking in my mind, just in the Latin, we refer to the Catholic faith as the depositum fidei. Depositum is a neuter term, the deposit of the faith, depositum fidei. So that deposit of faith can never change. You can't add to it, you can't take from it. And that is... You know, when Christ reinstates Peter and says, feed my sheep, he's saying, give them the true faith. Exactly. The depositum fidei, which is the neuter. Yeah. And, the, and also, the, yep. getting back to the text of Second Thessalonians, you mentioned there how in the Greek, it talks about the catacomb being removed from the middle, 
yes. or from the yes. center. Ekmesu in Greek. Well, let me read you these two sentences from Cardinal Ratzinger. Many non-Catholics affirm the necessity of a common center of Christianity. It is becoming evident that only such a center can be an effective protection against the drift into dependence on political systems or the pressures emanating from our civilization, that only by having such a center can the faith of Christians secure a clear voice in the confusion of ideologies. Um, so again, uh, associating the, the, the church or the papacy with that center there. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. And it also, if we go back to the idea of gates, which was in the um, Pseudo-Methodius uh, apocalypse, this idea that gates also hold back. A, a, a gate is a catacomb. It holds, you put a gate up around your property to hold back people from getting in. It holds them back. And so when you remove that, there's a rush forward. And, and it seems that Archbishop Vigano doesn't mince words. He says that um, the man who occupies the chair right now is is not keeping the is not being a good gatekeeper. He's yeah, let, letting in. Yeah. Let me read that quote. This to me was the most explosive quote in Archbishop Vigano's letter to President Trump. And what's notable here's the quote, but it's the sentence right before it. Dr. Mazza is his sentence on Katekon. So the two ideas are going together with Vigano. So here's the quote that Vigano has against Francis Bergoglio. He says, as is now clear, the one who occupies the chair of Peter has betrayed his role from the very beginning in order to defend and promote the globalist ideology, supporting the agenda of the deep church who chose him from its ranks, end quote. Yeah. Now, Dr. Mazza, you and I have talked about the Mazza thesis about what does it mean to occupy the chair? Can the supremacy of the Petrine office be, be um, uh, disjointed from the episcopacy of Rome, etc.? Now, do you think Archbishop Vigano believes that Pope Francis Bergoglio actually occupies the chair of Peter. What I what I what I remark at is his constant use of circumlocutions mm. or talking around something. Okay. Why does he use the phrase he who occupies the chair or the man who occupies the chair? Right. Why don't why don't you just say Pope? Right. Why does he constantly say Jorge Bergoglio right. and not Pope Francis? Um, or this was this was the real kicker. Uh, I'm sure you read this. Um, it was early October uh, in an Italian uh, newspaper. One of the lines that Archbishop Vigano says is he refers, he says, those who hold the papacy and who wear its robes, albeit awkwardly. Yes. Now, wait a minute. You don't use the plural when you're talking to refer to the papacy. I mean, and, and he wasn't, I mean, I, I don't have the original reference right in front of me, but he wasn't referring to like a pattern over like 20 years or something. Mm-hmm. He, the context for that sentence, that particular sentence, the context was, uh, you would assume he would have said he who holds right. the papacy. Right. So if, 
if, if he does agree with the Maza thesis, he's keeping his cards close to his vest. <laughs> mm-hmm. But he's not actually coming out and saying it, but he is using these rather curious phrases. Right. Very enigmatic. Yeah, why, why don't I read the, the sentence that goes that. before where he says, the, the one who occupies the chair of Peter. He says, in sacred scripture, St. Paul speaks of the one who opposes the manifestation of the mystery of iniquity, the katekon, Second Thessalonians chapter 2. In the religious sphere, this obstacle to evil is the church, which we've said, right? And in particular, the papacy. In the political sphere, it is those who impede the establishment of the new world order. So he has a multi-level katekon going on in his theology. Do you agree with that, Dr. Mazza? I do. I think he's right there with Cardinal Manning uh, saying that it's a it's the partnership that's existed between the papacy and the temporal rulers going back to Constantine. Right. Uh, and and maybe that's why the earliest church commentators couldn't see it clearly, uh, couldn't really understand what Paul was talking about because it hadn't really fully evolved yet. Right. It wasn't right. until Christendom was established that um, you could see it more clearly. And it's only now that the forces of Antichrist have taken over, so to speak, that we can really begin to see it. Um, so my personal take on this is I think that Pope Benedict kind of stepped to the side or was pushed to the side, and that is this dislodging of the catacomb, allowing the forces of Antichrist to just kind of take over. And actually, this uh, next month, November, the English version of uh, A Life by, by Benedict will come out, the one that was published in May in German. Now, uh, by Peter Seewald. Now, I've done an English algorithmic translation of that, and this is interesting what Pope Benedict has to say. Um, they ask, Peter Seewald asks him uh, about the flee, you know, remember when, our, when Pope Benedict said, pray for me that I don't flee for the fear wolves. from wolves. That was, you know, right when he was elected. Um, and so um, he res- Pope Benedict responds to that, And he says that um, the real threat to the church and thus to the Petrine service uh, lies in the worldwide dictatorship of apparently humanistic ideologies. Um, And he goes on to say, modern society is in the process of formulating an anti-Christian creed which to be resisted is punished with social excommunication. Here's the kicker. The fear of this spiritual power of the Antichrist is then all too natural. That's what he was referring to when he said, pray for me that I don't flee for fear of the wolves. Mm -hmm. And this is what he says. He says, it really takes the prayer of an entire diocese to resist it. To resist, to hold back. Yeah. And the, I think the diocese in question is the diocese of Rome. Yeah. Um, so I, I think he's talking about not actually talking about it. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, speaking of the diocese of Rome and the apostolic see, uh, Vigano makes this cryptic reference to the Vatican's magic circle. I thought, you know, his first open letter to President Trump, his cryptic text that not everyone picked up on right away was his reference to the Baphomet and the, the slogan Solvet Coagula, 
and that's been kind of I think people know about it now and they understand that means to dissolve break down and rebuild a new society a new church a new everything this time around in this letter I think the two cryptic things that Archbishop Vigano is leaking out to the president but also to the public is this whole theology of Katekon which we're talking about and this reference to the Vatican magic circle so just so y'all know what a magic circle is sadly you've probably seen it on tv with Mm -hmm. satanism or ritual magic uh the practitioners create a pentagram or a circle on the ground and they cast spells cast energy into this circle to make it for them sacred which is actually not sacred they can use chalk they can use blood they use salt they draw it in the dirt or whatever. And, and what it's doing is it's, um, or rope, it's creating for them a portal with the preternatural, for them to talk to the preternatural. And we as Catholics know that these preternatural forces that actually do come and visit and talk to these people in a magic circle are demons. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is how you get possessed by demons, people, if you do this. Absolutely. All right, and it creates this. And we're talking this about the Vatican in, this in which regard. you're you're basically telling the demons, you're telling these personal agents, come into me, come talk to me, come commune with me, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it's it's real bad. Yep. Now, it's in this bad. letter, he talks about the Vatican magic circle, and I want to read because he places it with the Vatican as having communion and interchange with secular globalist leaders. And here's the quote. He says to President Trump, around you are gathered with faith and courage those who consider you the final garrison against the world dictatorship. And I think garrison here could also be English for a catecon. The alternative is to vote for a person who is manipulated by the deep state. Dr. Maza, who's that? The one who's manipulated by the deep state. That we would vote for. Yeah, that's Biden. That's Biden. Okay, so the alternative is to vote for a person who's manipulated by the deep state, gravely compromised by scandals and corruption, who will do to the United States what Jorge Mario Bergoglio is doing to the church. Wow. Prime Minister Conte to Italy, President Macron to France, Prime Minister Sanchez to Spain, and so on. And then he says, going back to Joe Biden, the black mailable nature of Joe Biden, just like that of the prelates of the Vatican's magic circle, will expose him to be used unscrupulously, allowing illegitimate powers to interfere in domestic politics as well as international balances. So here, Vigano is using this language of occult magic, Satanism, uh, communion with the dead, communion with demons, magic circle, and he's using it for the prelates of the Vatican. And it's plural. Prelates. Prelates. So what he's doing here is he's basically revealing that these are not just sex scandals or financial scandals. This is occult practice in the church amongst the prelates of the Vatican in the church I mean that that to me I knew that was true I'm just amazed it's being printed 
Yeah, that's that's heavy stuff for a Friday morning, as you said. Yeah, yeah. So, and he also uses this language of Trump as a garrison against the world dictatorship. So, you know, this idea that what is being held back, Catecon, is the mystery of iniquity. It's occult, it's demonic, it's dark, and it involves, in Paul's theology, not just demons, but demons who possess and influence humans to attack the saints, to attack the church, to attack the faithful. That's what's scary. Mm-hmm. That you know, but um, this is again, it's from the Book of Revelation, right? We see that the dragon, with his tail, in chapter twelve, drags a third of the stars from the sky. And yep. that's been yep. interpreted in different ways. That could be a third of the angels that fell and became demons, and ultimately were defeated by Saint Michael. But it's also been interpreted to mean, uh, you know, the, the princes of the church. Yeah. Uh, have the clergy. Yeah. yeah, there was a, um, a commentary on the Apocalypse of John by a uh, priest, in the, uh, his name was E. Sylvester Berry, and he wrote a book in 1921 called The Apocalypse of St. John. And in that book, he claims that, um, that this is one of the things that's going to happen, the abomination of desolation. Antichrist and his prophet will introduce ceremonies to imitate the sacraments of the church. Um, a church of Satan will be, will be set up in opposition to the church of, of Christ. Um, and it, so, and, and other, other great authors have talked about this as well. Um, Bishop, Bishop Fulton Sheen talks about the, what the anti-church is going to look like. Right. Yep. And, you know, this phrase, magic circle... I was thinking, you know, traditional Catholicism is always vertical and transcendent. And in the Novus Ordo and in, you know, new architectures, the whole emphasis is on circularity. Just by putting the priest on the other side of the altar, you're making a circle. And they they rearrange churches this way. And they bring the altar off from, you know, deep in the transept and bring it out, you know, out into just up to the pews and then they sometimes put seats around that so there's this whole idea that we're circling and that it's the circling of the people that creates the energy or the presence of the divine instead of seeing it more as incarnational that the second person trinity enters into our midst and we come to greet him like the magi we don't right. we don't create a magic circle and summon him that's not no. that's not catholic and you're right, it's it's not a circular thing, it's a vertical thing, right. the way it's supposed to be, right? It, like the, the great Gothic cathedrals, they draw us up to God. Um, but here's a quote from Bishop Sheen, which I'm going to be using in my Christ versus Antichrist you know, Advent course. He says, and this is very timely, and I think you'll catch the buzzword here, because his religion will be brotherhood. <laughs> Without, what's another word for brotherhood, Dr. Marshall? Fraternity, yeah. <laughs> because his <Fratelli>. religion, <laughs> you said it, not me. Uh, because his religion will be brotherhood without the fatherhood of God, he will deceive even the elect. Okay? He will set up a counter church, which will be the ape of the church, because he, the devil, is the ape of God. You know, monkey see, monkey do. It will have all the notes and characteristics of the church, but here's the kicker, but in reverse 
emptied of its divine content. So we're losing the verticality, right? Yep. And, and the transcendence, and it's in reverse. So it's instead of going to God, we're going to man. Yes. And that's where, as you as you've been tirelessly pointing out, that's the salve et coagula. Yep. That's that's the Freemasons who a hundred years ago predicted that they would they would grab the Vatican, right? That, yep. They would grab a pope. Yeah. Well, let's get a little bit before we close up here. Let's get a little bit more edgy. And people who have watched our videos together know that Dr. Ed Mazza is the Mazza thesis guy who um, holds that Pope Francis himself does not hold the papal supremacy. And, um, you know, I kind of, I want to set you free, Dr. Mazza, to talk about that. Uh, I'm interested in it. Um, especially with regard to Vigano saying he who sits on the chair of Peter um, and how that kind of works and if there's been any development or modifications in your own thesis as 2020 has roared by. Go for it. Sure. Okay. So to summarize, the way I see it, there's two ways of going with this. There are two two things that could have happened. Repeatedly in his Seawold interviews, um, Ganswine as well, Benedict refers to himself as having a spiritual connection to his former diocese, which cannot be severed. He speaks about, he says here, a father does not stop being a father, but he is relieved of concrete responsibility. He remains a father in a deep inward sense in a particular relationship which has responsibility. He remains in an inner sense within the responsibility. Earlier in the show, I shared with you a quote from Cardinal Ratzinger where he speaks about the papacy in those terms, right? So what's clear is that he repeatedly says he has an ontological connection to his former diocese. Now, what does that mean? There's two ways of going with this. One way is to look at it this way, right? Uh, he, he sees bishop, he sees Pope Emeritus as Bishop Emeritus of Rome, okay? He's no longer functioning or acting with day-to-day duties. He doesn't have the active governance, right? Just like Blessed Karl gave up the active governance of, of Austria and Hungary. Um, so, but... He claims that he has this spiritual connection to the diocese, but there's a problem with that. Because as you and I talked about last May, most theologians in the history of the church have said you can't separate the diocese of Rome from vicar of Christ. So the problem with Benedict claiming that he still has a spiritual connection to the diocese is that he would automatically, without realizing it, claim to have a spiritual connection to Vicar of Christ, right? Because you can't separate the two. So if I claim to have a connection to the See of Rome, I'm also claiming to have a connection to Vicar of Christ. And what I learned in my research is, is that this position was condemned uh, during the time of the Jansenists. Uh, One of those 17th century popes condemned the idea that you can share the Vicarship of Christ because there was somebody at the time who was promoting the idea that Peter and Paul were both sort of popes, oh, so to oh. speak. So this would mean that 
if this was true, that Pope Benedict committed a substantial error and therefore would still retain the papacy. It would mean that the conclave that elected uh, Francesco would have been invalid because because you can't, uh, you know, he wanted to have his cake and eat it too. Uh, he wanted to be able to be Pope Emeritus of Rome, but you can't be Pope Emeritus of Rome without being Vicar Emeritus of Rome. And the, and the church has condemned that notion of Vicar Emeritus of Rome. Um, and so uh, now the other explanation is that, you know, Cardinal Ratzinger, Joseph, I mean, Joseph Ratzinger, Pope Benedict, being, you know, uh, you can disagree with his theology about certain things, but you can't disagree that the guy's a great intellect. Perhaps he figured out that he has the power as Pope to separate Vicar of Christ from Bishop of Rome. There, there's a minority view, and if folks want to learn more about this, they can see our original interviews. There's a minority view among prominent theologians in the church's history minority view that it is possible under grave circumstances for a pope an acting you know a legitimate pope to um separate vicar of christ from the diocese of rome now had, had if he if that's what he did he can still call himself pope emeritus or bishop emeritus of rome because um he has separated the two and then, then there's nothing wrong with calling yourself Bishop of Rome, or excuse me, uh, Bishop Emeritus of Rome, or Pope Emeritus of Rome. But what it, what it would mean is he's also still Vicar of Christ. And it would mean that all these terrible things that are that are being done in the name of the papacy, being done in the name of the Church by Francesco, have no validity to them, because it, it, it he's he's Judas, he's not Peter. I mean, he might be Bishop of Rome, but he's not Vicar of Christ under that scenario. Now, what about, you know, an alternative take on this is just Robert Bellarmine says, any any cleric who is a manifest heretic immediately loses his office. So would if you added this to the puzzle that you're discussing, even if Jorge Bergoglio became pope, if he does things that are manifestly heretical, wouldn't that deprive him from the papacy? And do we need a council or a group of cardinals? And if what you're saying is the correct way and not that way, don't we still need Cardinal Burke and Cardinal Seurat and some guys to get together and, and define this and decree this? Or can we just talk about it on YouTube and and blogs and podcasts? I mean, it seems like we need some definitions here. Yes. Well, again, I don't want to come off like a sede a contest. And so... Uh, in my writings, I try to avoid bringing up what you just said, but it is Catholic teaching that a bishop who became uh, a, a material, formal, you know, heretic, there are some nuances here, but if he becomes a heretic, he automatically loses his office without anybody censuring him, without anybody doing anything to him, okay? It's automatic. Um, one of your heroes, I think, was a guy named Eusebius, was a, a Catholic layman at the time of Bishop Nestorius yep. in Constantinople. For Christmas, our Archbishop Nestorius gives a sermon in which he says, Mary is not the Theotokos. She's not the God-bearer. Yep. And Eusebius stood up in the, in the cathedral of Hagia Sophia and called him a heretic. As a layman, he did. Yeah. Yep. And, I, and according to my research, he set up a placard inside Hagia Sophia 
listing all the heresies of Nestorius and how those line up with the heretic Paul of Samosata, who was the first heretic bishop in the church's history from a previous century. Um, so yeah, I would agree with those people who say that uh, uh, if Francesco has you know, committed heresy, then he would have lost even Bishop of Rome. I mean, I'm willing to grant him that he could be Bishop of Rome, but he would have lost that too if he's right. guilty of heresy. Now, the, the trick is, in church history, no one can judge the Holy See. You can't judge right. the papacy. Um, and we don't have time right now to, to get into all the ins and outs of that. But we, I would strongly agree with you that we need all the good cardinals, Cardinal Burke, uh, Bishop Schneider, uh, Archbishop Vigano, uh, we need all the good men in the church to come out and deal with this and take the bull by, by the horns because we're just laity, right? It's, right. It's, it's, we want to follow faithful bishops. We, we want to be within the church. You know, you and I are accused of being schismatics. That's the last thing you and I want to do right. is, is, be, is be in schism, okay? But that's what Archbishop Vigano says is that the, our enemies want to get us uh, pilloried uh, and, and excommunicated you know, uh, in, in, in the various meanings of that word. And then when really, ironically, it, it's the people that are running the church who are in trouble, not us. Right. We want to be faithful. Right. Yeah. You and I, we want to hold every single tidbit, jot and tittle of the deposit of faith. I don't want to deny any of it. I don't want to evolve it. I don't want to modify it. I don't want to modernize it. I want it good old timey Roman Catholicism. And I think I, you know, I pulled up the name. It's Eusebius of Dorylium. Eusebius of Dorylium. He was a layman, and after he called out Nestorius, the church then made him into a bishop. Exactly. They're like, hey, you got pretty good theology. <laughs> you called out a heretic, Archbishop. You know, and Celestine never criticized him for for doing what he did, as far as I know. And I've yeah. heard that after that Christmas sermon by the arch heretic Nestorius the people began to riot in the city and cause commotion saying we have i think they said we have an emperor but we don't have a bishop because they consider nestorius as mm. yes. having somehow vacated now it still required the council of uh, which was a chalcedon who condemned nestorius uh, ephesus. Ephesus. Uh, ephesus yeah ephesus in 431 it still required the council to decree it so i don't think you know, the very next hour, Eusebius was kicked out of the cathedral and out of his quarters. Okay. You know, it took ecclesiastical machine to rule against him. But there is this sort of idea amongst the lady, wait a second, our archbishop has just denied that Mary's Theotokos. Yeah, so, um, yeah, and you know, there's an interesting quote from Robert St. Robert Bellarmine where uh, he talks about um, the papacy. Um, he says, the power of Peter's keys does not extend to the point that the Supreme Pontiff can declare not sin, what is sin, mm -hmm. or sin, that which is not sin. Right. In, in fact, this would be to call evil good and good evil, and listen to this, this is the money quote, something that has always been and always will be very far from the one who is the head of the church, the pillar and foundation of the truth. So I could argue off of that quote there that if somebody comes out and says 
that something is that that which we know is sinful, objectively sinful, right. according to the natural order, right. is a good thing, then that person is not the head of the church. Yeah, because what's the point of having a papacy if the papacy can make sin not sin or not sin sin? Right. I mean, that that basically puts him above God, which is ridiculous. Well, good. Well, good show. I don't want to be faithful to the church. I want to be faithful to the Holy Father. Yeah. And ultimately, Christ the King. Christ the King. Amen. So, well, Dr. Ed Mazza, thanks for coming on. Thanks for giving us some analysis on this new um, statement by Vigano to President Trump. And we, you know, we talked about Conte Khan. We talked about Magic Circle. We talked about some of the, um, the difficulties with regard to the papacy in our time, where we seem to have contradiction with previous popes or even calling some things not sin that are sin. Uh, it's it's a difficult time for all Catholics, and I, I would encourage everyone to have charity towards one another and patience towards one another. And we live in a very difficult time. And so I think that's why we need to have charity and patience for one another, because the answers are not yet clear. If we had, for example, right now, if right now there were 60 cardinals in Rome debating this and working on a solution, uh, then it would be a little bit more... Um, I'm sure that would be difficult, but at least we'd be like, okay, a solution's coming. Right now, it doesn't feel that way. We have some letters coming out from Vigano. We have some good books and stuff coming from Schneider and occasional something from Burke and all that. But it, it feels uh, feels like we're in a bit of a stalemate, but not a checkmate. So, all right, Dr. Mazza, let's close up by um, praying the Ave Maria. If you like this video, please give it a thumbs up. And please uh, share this video by hitting the share button on um, Facebook and on Twitter. And please subscribe and hit the bell. So when we go live, you'll be notified. And then um, after we say the prayer, uh, Dr. Ed Maz, I'd like you to tell people quickly about your Advent um, course. And we'll sign off. Sound good? Sounds good. All right. Oremos. Nomine Patris et Fidi et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria. Gratia plena Dominus Tecum. Benedicta tu in molieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Santa Maria, Mater Dei, ora per nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostrae. Amen. Amen. Nomine Patris, et Filii, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. All right, before we sign off here, what's going on in um, Advent? Yeah, so if folks go to edmundmaza.com, uh, they can sign up for a special Advent mini-course that I'm going to be offering on the Sundays of Advent. So the first two Sundays, we're going to talk, we're going to explore in scripture and in history, uh, the, the coming of Christ and his church. And then the next two Sundays, we're going to explore again from scripture and history and other sources, the coming of the Antichrist and the coming of the anti-church. Uh, and I can't think of a better way to prepare for the coming of our Lord at Christmas uh, or to prepare our souls and families for the, the possible coming of our Lord in glory. Uh, if if we're in if we are in that time that uh, that uh, the, es the eschaton you know um, and uh, and also I've also got some other courses for the spring folks can find out about as well. Excellent, excellent. All right, well, very good. And of course, everybody pray the rosary, rattle those beads, pray the rosary every day, or you're not on the team. Read the Bible, get to a traditional night mass. Let's feed ourselves. Let's get strong, and let's be confident in Christ. So pray the rosary daily. 
And remember, our Lord Jesus Christ said you are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So go out there and be salty. salty. Dr. Ed Mazza, thank you. God bless. Godspeed. God bless. Take care. Okay. Well, good evening and welcome. Got everything ready. Um, last night I went through a couple things. I have to tell you that the, um, the guy who was supposed to show up, um, you know, it's always that way, right? He was supposed to show up for, um, maintenance, never showed up. So any damage that is caused is going to have to be reimbursed. So, um, that's just the way I handle things, you know, I just, when something happens and it's out of my control, well, then it's got to go into somebody else's pocket, because it's not going to come out of mine, that's for sure. So, anyhow, um, I have a Robert David Steele and a Carrie Cassidy. Now, they got to know one another a little bit, um, podcast back and forth right before the elections and stuff like that. He was querying her on the, not the efficacy, um, the, the reality, I guess you could say, of, or the actuality of the fact that there could be aliens and that we travel to and from the earth to Mars and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, she was said, yeah, that's the way it is, you know. So let's hear what they have to say, and especially Robert. Um, I haven't heard hide or hair from him since we lost the election, since Trump lost. Oh, I just lost this. Hold on. If I talk too long, I lose it over here. Uh, it's so awkward. I did fix it. It's a little bit better, but it's still awkward. It's in an awkward position, and I can't see if I even got it. Hold on. Oh. <clears throat> Here we go. Okay, great. We're both recording. We can both use this video as we wish. Um, Carrie, I have known you for a long time, and I've really respected all the work that you've done with Project Camelot. You gave people like David Wilcock his start. I consider you one of a dirty dozen, maybe even a handful, <laughs> five top people in the uh, secret space war arena. Now, recently you uh, recommended to me a video talking about how the shuttle was actually shot down by an energy beam. And we agreed to talk now for a few minutes. Just give us an overview of what you think is going on in outer space right now and who's doing what. Okay, well, that's a tall order, but the bottom line, uh, and, and my information, again, comes from my sources. It also comes from my own intuitive uh, downloads, you might call them, and it also comes from triang what we call triangulation. That is when three or more sources agree on something, then I take it seriously and do more research. So the, the door is always open. Uh, things can be proven or disproven as we go along, but... At the moment, my information. Oh my gosh, here we go again. I don't know, it doesn't like something I'm doing. Because it's actually worse since I changed everything around. But the other day, 
it would stop, but it would come back. No, it's not coming back. Uh, this one's completely down. Can't use those, but I can find uh, is okay, quite good. substantial, and I can say that uh, according to Captain Mark Richards, we are fighting a war right now, strangely, uh, in the Orion galaxy that is spilled over also onto Earth. We've been fighting with uh, various alien races now for many centuries, uh, maybe ever since humans came to the planet. So and initially, this planet was considered to be belonging to the reptilians and the Draco, and they will continue to try to exercise their will later. over humans. And uh, they, and specifically, the the reptilians are called the marauders of the galaxy. So it's not just this planet and these humans, but it's actually planets and galaxies that the reptilians will go around and try to dominate and take over and also use as food sources and for for trading because they use humans or humanoids as a trading uh, source so they they trade with other races other races that do use us as slaves uh, and that includes you know sex slaves but for food and also other nefarious uses we're also, by the way, used because of our ingenuity in building uh, and, and flexibility. And even the Pleiadians, who are in most cases supposed to be our friends, and certainly uh, we are descended from them in part, and they're descended also from Lyra, as we are. Uh, and, and, but they also like to use, use us for the front lines in their war with the reptilians and Draco. So humans so are fighters. For, who's in charge for Earth? Now, I've heard that, that there's a multinational secret space force and that China, Russia, and the United States are in alignment. Is that correct? It's supposed to be. Uh, however, uh, there are extenuating circumstances. And one of those circumstances is that China and North Korea are at the moment aligned with a uh, sort of new guys on the block type of alien race. Hmm. And I can't tell you who that is. I might have a, uh, a conjecture on that. They've always been aligned with the Draco. And therefore, if we are in partnership with them in the secret space program, it may be um, keeping your enemies close or your friends close and your enemies closer. But my understanding at the moment is that we're actually not on the same side as side as China. How's the United States doing? <laughs> uh, well, in the war, in the Orion galaxy right now, according to Mark Richards, again, 200,000 humans are out there fighting uh, as part of our secret space program. Uh, and we are, I think, doing a good job there, I, you know, we have uh, battles on many fronts, and we have Solar Warden that is protecting our particular galaxy. We are terraforming planets within our galaxy, like moons of Saturn and Jupiter, uh, and we are making deals with various races, including those from Aldebaran, who got involved quite early on, well, especially with the Nazis, as you may know, and they continue to be involved. Uh, they're involved also uh, what appears to be a race of reptoids that has now been given at least part of Africa, if not all. And that comes, by the way, from <laughs> among other people, Gordon Duff. Huh. 
Okay, so he's with... Um, so how are we doing? It's, you know, in any kind of war situation, uh, today. fog of war and all of that, there's a lot going on. I can okay, say that so. according to, again, Mark Richards, where he's a very primary uh, witness in these regards because he was a captain of the Space Force and he continues to be tapped even to this day, uh, even by the sort of new rendition, which is brought forward, at least in the public eye, uh, you know, space force that, that Trump has brought to the to the force. So Richards is in prison now. He, he has been in prison for over, actually it's around 35 years. Yeah. So uh, for most of his for doing uh, super adult, you know, his adult they life, I mean, prior to that he was, he was he raised in it. the secret space program. So he got involved very early on with a father and a grandfather who will all also supplying information to what would become our secret space program. And his grandfather was working with Tesla. His father was a very well-respected um, Air Force, uh, I, I, I forget what his rank was, but high-level Air Force, um, I, I can't, it was above captain, but I don't know. Um, I forget the name. So, um, are there so, two competing space programs? Is there a Navy space program and an Air Force space program? Okay, not to my knowledge. To my knowledge, uh, there there is what we have are a surface military and and, and an underground secret space program. Now, this, there is a feed, you know, a sort of a flow through between the two, as well as with our military industrial complex that involves high tech and uh, and and goes to places like Kazakhstan where we have a base and a major uh, sort of super modern city and, uh, and, and so on. So, um, but to get back to the different, the different groups of military are aligned with various groups of aliens and certain of those aliens are in theory are um, enemies of each other. So there is some, there's overlap and there's also a separation. And I can tell you that the Navy is said to be the head of the entire secret space program, uh, specifically on uh, you know Navy intel and uh, ONI. And I can Navy say that the, the Air Force is think the Air Force more or less given that uh, sort of over to the to the uh, Navy, as I understand it. There's also the Army, and uh, they were very involved and continue to be, I believe, with greys, gray aliens, and those are many races of gray aliens, so it's, it's, a hard, it's hard to cut and dry everything, you know, to make it simple. But understanding that this is, there's, a, there's an overall sort of uh, leadership, from my understanding. Uh, they do have meetings in places like Exeter on this planet and also in Peru. Um, and possibly in Chile. Uh, and the, these meetings are with various races of ETs. So a kind of a UN that meets in these places and has been for many years. We have treaties. The treaties have been uh, set up and then violated time and time again. Uh, even going back That's to the early familiar. days of Camelot when we interviewed Dan Burish. He would talk about uh, the Tau Nine Treaty and other one, others that were violated. Mark has also talked about these meetings, and um, and so on. So it's 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 like there's a whole world of secret space involvement that humans are not 
party to unless you're close to a certain certain level of the military black projects etc and um and 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 the wars and and many wars and wars at the top uh there are there is disagreement between what are called the luciferians and uh from what i understand kind of uh the the nazi contingent um but but it's 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 a fine line so they war with each other um uh, you know, I, I, I'm not sure what direction you know, to go I mean, with I, that. I went through an entire career as a Marine Corps officer, and then as a spy, and then as a second-ranking civilian in Marine Corps intelligence, and, and I never, never got a clue. Now, I'm feeling, on the one hand, I'm feeling left behind, and on the other hand, I'm wondering, how is it that something like this can just go on without the second-ranking civilian in the Marine Corps intelligence community seeing it? Well, there's a lot of levels. First of all, mind control plays a big part. And that's also, you know, I've interviewed people who have been mind controlled and who are members of the military who also, like you, might not know or at least think they know anything that's going on. We've got soldiers going into uh, programs where they're going off planet into what is commonly called 20 and back programs. This has been talked about out in the sector um, for many years. Uh, people that are assigned to Mars and other planets, uh, Randy Kramer, for example, and others who have, have come forward. I can tell you that as, as recently as today, I talked to somebody who was a very high level military in, in the Air Force who, again, validated everything I'm telling you. So, uh, in terms of how you didn't know one side in essence i think there's suspicions okay i think the higher up you go even in the officers you'll still there will be people that are suspicious uh they will find out that there are sort of in essence what we have at ours is a parallel track right and i don't know if you remember the missile that went off the coast that was shot over uh, i think it was Carolina. catalina uh, this is a year or two ago, maybe more, mm, actually more than two years, probably. And that was uh, shot out by one part of the military, where mm -hmm. is the other part of the military was was completely naive about yep, it. And yep. it got reported yep. as if it was a nefarious incident. Some people thought it was China. Yeah. But what they don't understand us. is that we, in a sense, there are miniature battles going on between these the levels of the service, but they don't clue people in. The Gulf oil spill, for example, was had to do with the Falklands War, had to do with the AI and the black goo. All of this was unknown to most of the military, to most of, of people even that were on the platform. But I can tell you that I had a whistleblower who did work out there and did get clued in as to what was going on and validated the, the space program side of around here don't forget that. of that the fact that we're fighting a group a group of aliens who have invaded earth uh, centuries ago actually and so there's there's so many levels at which it leaks through i can tell you that i've talked to low-level soldiers some of whom um were in like alabama and and i have these testimony in, in various interviews that i've done it's also off the, the record talks so they report 
I have to be quiet. I um, was watching another podcast that I did. And I thought, I'm making way too much noise. You guys can't hear. And I thought, I've got to be quiet. I've got to be quiet. But when it's buffering, I can say whatever I want as long as I want. But no, I don't have anything to say. Oh, actually, um, I might, you know, when you don't have a lot of money, you can't get a lot of Christmas gifts. So I'm done with Christmas shopping. And I have some old Christmas wrap from last year I'm going to use because I don't have anybody have to replace Karen yet. At, in programs that, that involve tough. grace, that involve um, one individual who his his group was involved in a, a whole operation and he just joined. He was just getting through boot camp and, and they were used in, a, in an operation that involved gray aliens. And, uh, and he became aware of it. Sometimes the memories leak through, the mind control is not sufficient, mind wipe, etc. I can tell you, for example, Robert Sala, uh, who is uh, someone who testifies about the Minot uh, Air Force Base and, and uh, other um, missile, missile launch platforms where he- He should know about Michael Sala. I just had him on. Um, he was in um, Hawaii and gave a very good speech. I hope you caught that. That was very good. I forget the name of it, but um, it touched on a lot of important things. So it's buffering again, and then I can't get into this at all. Which is probably a good thing because I'm done with my Christmas shopping. Worked, uh, and I forget the exact names. Uh, he, he's testified and is quite well known, and I've interviewed him on this as well. And he himself knows that when he was working for the military, even in Rendlesham, he was called in mm-hmm. to be um, given some medical attention that he didn't need. And so you can, and I have witnesses that are yeah. called to the dentist. All of a sudden, they're, they're suddenly they are supposed to get some kind of work done there. These so are the places they where they will put uh, in the, the mind control oh. and the blocks. Okay. And sometimes, they, again, the bleed through occurs. Uh, mm-hmm. Duncan O'Finian is a famous uh, super soldier who testified that to us that two, two after about ago, the, the age of 50, your memories start coming back. So I'm, the, the reality me. is that it is actually shocking how few whistleblowers we really have when in fact there are so many of the military who don't even realize they've been involved in something. I mean, this is the real root of, you might say, PTSD. Mm-hmm. A lot of these soldiers have gone off planet. They don't even know. They didn't, don't realize they, were, they thought they were shipped to Iraq. They were fighting Iraq in Iraq and their screen memory is one thing and the actual what actually happened is another thing That's altogether. And this also includes... Uh, according to That's witnesses, uh, alien abdu- abductions. So the military, our military, will implant memories, false memories of alien abduction to cover up, up them being individuals being mylabbed uh, by the military. But oftentimes, the 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 strange thing, and this is sort of um, 
I don't know, a hall of mirrors, because aliens will also be involved in that aspect. So it's uh, when some person says that they've got a screen memory, they realize it was a screen memory, they've got another memory. You're familiar with the way mind control works. And there will be levels upon levels uh, to to basically make a, a sort of a fail Actually, safe, uh, so the humans don't in one tap into what has, has really gone on with them. Uh, and, and so, should humanity be worried? <laughs> yes, uh, this is one of my points, and this is why I do the job I do. Thank you. Uh, because naive. this is all about kinda... <laughs> uh, races yeah, that are preying on humans, specifically uh, on our children on our young people, uh, taking them off planet as slaves, using them in various capacities, killing them, eating them, so mm -hmm. on. Sorry to be so graphic. And this That's is where the whole though. pedophilia links in. Um, and this is where also yeah, the adrenochrome and, and, and the man manufacture of it. All of this comes from the Draco reptilian lineages that have also, and also the greys that are actually a form of reptilian, that have actually been infiltrated our genome, the human genome, on this planet. So um, there are a lot of racial lines that uh, some of whom are a lot more you might say reptilian than others and they are part of the they have these proclivities you're talking about jeffrey epstein and his island and who they could attract the, the so-called blue butt bloods of the blue you know butts. of the the royalty the lines of royalty so so-called royalty all of I'm this sorry, goes back guys. to a to preying on other humans to a power mm -hmm. over uh paradigm that we have been operating on here on earth uh, for eons and uh, have been victims of if you want to call it that uh, so in my view uh, humans need to know their prey we need to know who the enemy is in order to protect us and our children yeah. and well, this is why it's so important protect ourselves uh, are What's we being there is some oh criminy are you serious I don't know what the people downstairs think I'm doing up here. Protection, but not much. <laughs> not much in my view. Uh, you know, what Very this is, is a, is a sort of a yin and yang, uh, you know, positive, negative, polarity uh, planet at this time. We've been 3D. This We're actually so moving into 4D in now. <laughs> but the bottom line is that in such a planet, uh, the souls that come in are given these challenges to either, you know, to, to stay alive and to, to learn quickly obviously. Uh, and if they don't, they simply die. Now you yeah. can reincarnate and come oh, back into the game again, thing. obviously. So we're really talking about a uh, sort of a might makes right of uh, a, a, a challenging um, scenario in which it's, it's learn or die. And under these circumstances, humans have right, had to learn uh, very quickly, quickly. and he's, some he's pretty bright, astonishingly. So see, the trouble is that the humans became collaborators with the enemy, so to speak. So we have a large contingent do. of humans who now want to deceive the other half of humans, so to speak, and they have sided with the enemy, with uh, the Dracos and the Reptilians and other various races, some of whom are trying to become our friends, uh, like the mantids. Simon Parks will tell you mm -hmm. that he believes he's uh, a mantid hybrid. hybrid. Um, 
and and that the mantids have now sided with the humans but they used to uh actually you know prey upon us on a regular basis and Mm -hmm. so there are various uh, um, contingents going on here here on earth and we are in fact this election is a perfect example of the the luciferians and uh, alien races trying to trying to sort of put into place once and for all their new world order to get rid of uh, any any sense of freedom on the planet. They've been using COVID for that purpose. It's not about a, a disease of any kind. It's about control. Yes. And yeah, so they want to control humans. So your bottom line, does yeah. President Trump know about all of this? And is he doing the if right he doesn't, thing? doesn't, he should. Yes, absolutely. Uh, he's well read in, uh, and Better I'm sure be. of that. And I can say okay. that uh, he is working along with his team and John F. Kennedy Jr. to right the wrongs that have been perpetrated upon humanity, including the the early death of John F. Kennedy. Um, Now, the scenario, it's, it's, you know, it's a constant, in other words, again, on on the the light, if you call it light, a a battle between light and dark, um, you get again on the light and again on the on the dark and and we go like this constantly so it's 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 that kind of a a planet and uh we go from one side of the polarity to the other until we learn how to basically transcend and integrate both sides both the light and the dark and we live lives that encompass our learning curve in each sector so um it, it would say I would say I might, that a person who is nearing here ascension while. would have had to live lives on both sides, uh, in, integrate them both, and feel uh, able to to deal with both uh, very with a lot of fluidity, understanding, and um, and and love in the end. I guess. All right. You you brought up John F. Kennedy Jr. I've done an analysis, and I've come to the conclusion that it's eighty percent likely that he and his wife are alive. I've talked to someone who claims they have actually met him recently that is alive. What can you add to our sense of whether Kennedy Jr. is alive or not? Well, I can say, and I, I have talked about this in other places, but I had, during the summer, this summer, I believe it when I see I it. had a night in I which, for some reason, I simply had nonstop dream dreams that didn't seem like dreams that seemed stronger and more real than reality in which I was interacting with John F. Kennedy Jr. and talking with him uh, interacting with a group of people and him uh, interacting with Trump and him uh, nonstop all night long so I would go to sleep for a short time then I would wake up I would recall what I what I was seeing I would go to sleep again wake up and, and it went on all night like that and in in the process, when I woke up to this reality during those times, I would think that this reality was absolutely not reality, and I would go back into this other reality. What well, that I've told me multiple timelines, and and I've I recently reviewed uh, the music of time about frequencies and time and space travel. So I have a completely open mind on this, even though I myself have no direct knowledge. Let's end on what I hope will be a happy note. How do you see the next two months going in the United States of America? Okay, well, let me clarify, because I I am a time traveler. I'm 
I think we're all time travelers, but I'm very aware of, of different timelines. And I will tell you that this was not a different timeline for what it's worth. You know, everyone's going to have their own point of view. But what I was seeing well, was the good, future I I was and the, the now, maybe the eternal now. But nonetheless, it was this timeline that I was I was dealing with. I, I don't know how I know that. I just know that. So uh, but in terms of the future, uh, this has been very interesting for me because as a precog, I will get, I get validation. So I get things that come into my mind like little film strips and then they play out in front of my eyes later. And sometimes it can be years and a lot of years. Like I have a whole library of this stuff in my head and sometimes it's something very brief and I, I could have a dream tonight and it could happen tomorrow. And I've, I've had even recent uh, validations. So, so I kind of... bottom line on now to now to February? All right. So what I'm trying to say is that I have... It's been very foggy. In other words, nothing is really coming very clear other than small things. So what I'm seeing in the future is we're not wearing masks. Since Biden's okay. agenda is that we wear masks all the time, and he's actually said this, mm. which is completely absurd uh i have to say that i don't think he's gonna last and i don't think kamala is either as far as being a president so i don't think they have a long life you know as in that role now i don't i hope and i believe that president trump has all the evidence that the election has been stolen and i have further evidence i I have some i want to show you behind the scenes to me that validates that uh, I believe that, that they are going so, to make a very oh, good case in the courts and fair. there's no they reason the why they shouldn't win because out. it's the truth. The elections have Love always been attention. stolen, but now they're going to demonstrate how. And this is just one way they've been stolen. There are, there are a multitude of ways. I don't know if they're going to get into the Dominion software and all of that, but certainly we know that goes on. Whether Trump will be victorious in the courts is another matter because the dark side never sleeps either so people have to understand you can rerun the election you can review everything in the courts but some of those judges can be bought can be threatened etc etc and how do you prevent this there has to be things in place that trump has foreseen in order to make sure that these things are going to be uh brought forward in a in a true and, and honest way um it is, it's an uphill battle. I do believe it's, there's every reason to believe that Trump is actually um, supposed to fulfill the next four years here on the planet because everything they set in, in place during the first four years was to come to fruition the last four years. If he gets halted in the middle of that, it seems uh, like a huge crime uh, against humanity also because understanding that Trump and his team are all about disclosure of the truth. They want to show people the truth about what's going on on the planet. And that does include the underground bases, the children that have been held as prisoners in underground bases and so on. And as well as the indictments that need to be coming forward. If if there was to be cut short, then he wouldn't be able to fulfill his promise Mm -hmm. and what he was actually incarnated to do. Uh, fully and completely and that doesn't seem right to me whether you know now I'm not (laughs) 
you know, I can only see so far. And like I say, I have seen myself in the future and I'm joking with my partner. We're at an airport and I'm looking around and most people are not wearing masks. Something had to change in a positive way. One, we're traveling and two, they're not wearing masks. That's enough for me to say it's very possible that Trump will win. I agree with you. I, I even wonder if Joe Biden is working for Trump. And this is part of a WrestleMania drama that's been scripted out. Because what Biden and Kamala Harris have done is so stupid as to defy belief. So, all right, let me give you the last word and then we'll stop. Anything that you want to share? Like what's going on in Antarctica? (laughs) Well, uh, apparently there's a control center uh, for planet Earth in Antarctica. So you might well wonder that. And and it is worth uh, discussing as to how Trump is dealing with those beings, okay? Because this this sort of, the Nazi underlay that came through with the Third Reich has gone into the Fourth Reich. And it's, it's no accident that what we're seeing in terms of the control, and it's 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 manifesting in England in a, in a very uh, diabolical way as I speak uh, in other countries. And I have to say, all of this agenda has been rolling out very quickly and just recently. So the, the Nazi agenda seems to be coming to the fore more and more and more. And that is stunning to see that um, really in your face at this time on planet Earth. So Trump and his team have to fight that. They have to fight the good fight. I think we may go to a civil war, to be honest with you. I am not so sure that things are going to calm down, even if Trump gets into power. Um, I I have had precog dreams of the future that are not pleasant. Okay, so there are some things that could come down. There could be some some heavy duty in um, invasion going on from China into the United States. Uh, Apparently it's already happening in Canada. So I warn people about that. I'm trying to warn people about that. Um, I don't think Biden's working for for Trump. I think he's working for the Greys and and for China. And I do believe that the Chinese Communist Party are intent in taking over control of the world and especially the United States and the resources and uh, brain trust here, if anything. So this is uh, the battle for the future and what we're involved in that's uh, beginning to manifest now. And, uh, you know, it's it's an incredible time to be alive. Uh, and I, I wish that my wish is that the Trump and administration and the Trump team will come forward with as much heavy duty ammunition at this time Uh, Instead of promising that this is going to happen and that arrest is happening and these rescues are happening, I think that they should be coming forward during these crucial months before January 20th with the real real goods. It doesn't mean everything. I understand that they're trying to, you know, show people. But then show us. Mm -hmm. Show us what you've done if you want people to be enlightened Mm -hmm. and to see a different way. Uh, it doesn't mean you're going to change yeah, them, right. by the way. You can yeah, show and, somebody and all night and all there. day, but if they don't want to okay. see, uh, uh, whether it's Columbus I, or, or anything that, else, uh, sure. they're going to attribute it to whatever they want. So this is this is where we are. We're at uh, a very interesting juncture. Uh, that's my 
parting words is is you know that they come forward with some of the goods because he has been fighting with one hand tied behind his back he has trump cards in hand and i think he should bring his trump cards forward let's end on that note thank you carrie i have a completely open mind and i value your richly hard-earned perspective thank you <laughs> thank you she is so you can't just jump in like that i haven't even introduced you so anyway um carrie um when she gets a compliment which isn't often i have to say and that's the truth um it's probably because she toots her own horn so much that people just figure well she already knows she's a badass you know she'll just <laughs> but anyway um him giving her a compliment she just melts you can just see it she's just like oh, thanks you know turns into a little schoolgirl. it's kind of nice anyway um that is the second time that she spelled it out for robert david Steele. now i think i must have missed something in um what he said in reference to the election somewhere along the line I'll go back and check, um, because evidently, um, it's not where I thought it was. I thought he was going to talk about something to do with the elections a little bit. Um, the item that was going to play is not the one that I was going to play next anyway. Um, this ancient DNA stuff has there's something about it that has me very um i don't know like like it's important that we understand what's going on there for our civilization right now and so that's all i can tell you i know i sound like carrie oh i feel like this happening anyway um Thank you for listening to Robert David Steele and Carrie Cassidy. I'll see you soon. Bye-bye.